Well, good morning. It's good to be here with all of you today on this morning. That reminds me a little bit of what Christmas used to feel like up north when I was growing up on the shores of Lake Erie in Cleveland, Ohio. It was kind of chilly out there this morning, so we're glad that you've braved the cold and that you're here today. On Thursday night, we had worship in this space and with many people joining us online, and we're so glad if you're joining us online this morning. God knows um, when we love him and worship him and when we lift our praise and glory to God, it doesn't matter if it's from home or if it's from here. But Thursday night, we were able to gather and remember and experience some of the things that we do during Christmas that helped us feel just a little bit more normal than this year has felt, and it was a good thing. And then in keeping with 2020, um, just before the second service started, we began to get warnings of a big storm on the way. People's phones were alerting, and some folks stayed at home to worship. And indeed, as we departed this space, the rain was coming down in buckets. So it seemed somehow fitting that in a year that's been full of surprises, not all wonderful surprises, <laughs> that we had rain on Christmas Eve. We got up Christmas morning on Friday. Some of us were able to celebrate Christmas morning in a way that felt pretty familiar. We watched little ones open packages. Um, some of us were able to spend the day with family and friends. But some of us, because of the circumstances of this year, had to be content with speaking to our loved ones on the phone or on FaceTime or on Zoom. But I hope that everyone did that with a, a, certain, um, a certain assurance that um, regular Christmases, more normal feeling Christmases and holiday seasons were going to come again. And that we, we had much to be thankful for no matter how different this Christmas might have been. You know, it was a different kind of Christmas and it's been a different kind of year reminds me uh, of a novel I read that began with the words, it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. You see, I was an English major in college. Well, actually, I had lots of different majors. I was something of a professional student for a while back in the 70s. I started out as a phys ed major. I wanted to be a gym teacher. And then at the end of my first year of college, I realized the money had run out and I was either going to start taking great big loans out or I was going to sign some years of my life over to Uncle Sam with an ROTC scholarship. And because they didn't really need gym teachers in the Army, I changed majors a couple of times. And then um, our government and Congress decided that women could go to the military academy, so I left the University of Wisconsin, and I went to West Point where everybody was an engineering major. Whether you liked math and engineering or not, you were all engineering majors. And then I left West Point to get married. I told you I was a wanderer. And I finally graduated from college as an English major in Lawton, Oklahoma at a little school called Cameron University. And you might say, after all those odd and different majors, why in the world did I pick English? Easy. Because I like to read and I had a job in the Army, so it didn't matter what I majored in. And what I learned in college, what I learned by being an English major, is that I loved novels, and I loved English novels. 
and one of my favorite authors was Charles Dickens, the same Charles Dickens who wrote The Christmas Carol, the, the movie with Ebenezer Scrooge that we see often at this time of year. But he also wrote a very serious novel called A Tale of Two Cities. It was a story set in 1775, and the two cities were Paris, France, and London, England, during a time of the French Revolution. It was a time where life in this world was characterized by class differences, by poverty, by greed, by crime. But the theme of that novel, what we learned from that novel, was that out of the worst things that life can throw at us, some of the best things can come. And so I'd like to uh, read you the first few lines of that novel, because I think you'll find, as you listen to the words, it, in a way it kind of describes some of the um, dichotomy that we've experienced this year in 2020. So Charles Dickens began his novel this way. He said, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief, it was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light, it was a season of darkness. It was the spring of hope, and it was the winter of despair. It was written about a time 250 years ago, and it sounds an awful lot like 2020. This quotation reminds me, especially the part where he talks about the light and the darkness, of the message that Pastor Bob delivered just a couple weeks ago about how hope ignites by the light and how the light cannot be extinguished by the darkness. But it also reminded me that this year has been characterized by wisdom and foolishness, by belief and disbelief by hope and by despair and by moments of darkness and moments of light. Some messages are eternal. For us, Christmas this year came at the best and the worst of times. We know that there are people in our congregation who suffered losses during the time of this pandemic. There are new widows and widowers among us. There are people who got sick. We've had folks worshiping with us in recent weeks who are homeless. We have folks who have been worried about losing jobs and about unemployment benefits. Truly, it's been the worst of times for some. But in the middle of all of that, just as Liz Lindsay mentioned before, we've experienced incredible generosity from the people of this church. We not only gave away turkeys at Thanksgiving and toys at Christmas, but we provided boxes stuffed with canned goods, hams, turkeys, fresh produce, toys at Christmas time to families who just had no way to make ends meet. I watched one of our ladies here from the church, Bev Haskell, drive away here one day with a trunk filled to the top with gifts that had been sewn by ladies of the church that were going to be taken and given to folks 
who have been in nursing homes, and I know uh, we already have received some thank you notes from some of those nurse nursing homes. Yesterday, I read online how despite all of the things that we've struggled through this year, that giving to charities in America this holiday season has surpassed all expectations and broken the record of what was given the last few years. So in the midst of struggles, people found ways to be generous. And then, of course, despite all of the madness of the world, Christmas Eve came and we celebrated the baby who was born to us in a manger on the margins of society. And we remembered that despite all the difficulty of the year, the manger still had the baby. We still celebrated Christmas. And while the church may have been more online than in person this year, no, the church did not close. And so we also experienced the best of times with a hope that can sustain us into the future, which is why this particular message was titled Future Hope. Now, throughout our Advent message series, which was called When Hope Was Born, we heard Pastor Bob a few times speak the words that we read in the prologue of John's Gospel from John chapter 1. And I think those words are really important for us because they remind us that no matter what goes on in our lives, this year or any other year, because this isn't the only year when we face trials and tribulations, we can move into the future because of the hope we have in Christ. And we can move into the future unafraid. We can move into the future even though there's some uncertainty with the certainty that we are loved by God. We can move into the future with peace and hope and love and joy, those things that are symbolized by the candles that we light during the Advent season. Those things don't go away because we pack up our decorations and put them away. So what we're going to do now is revisit the scripture that Pastor Bob read during the week that he preached about how hope ignites. And it was also a scripture that he paraphrased on Christmas Eve as we lit the little twinkle lights instead of lighting candles from person to person. He read to us from John's prologue, and I'm going to read it now from the New Living Translation. The words are a little bit different than the ones Pastor Bob read, and perhaps maybe just a little bit easier to understand. So let's listen how John described the beginning. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believe him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. 
So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. There's a lot of meaty phrases in that scripture. Pastor Bob already explored the darkness and light, so I won't do that today. But let's begin with the word, the word. Why wouldn't John just call Jesus the Messiah or the Son of God? The Jewish people would have understood that. It seems to be less ambiguous than calling Jesus the word. But you see, John wasn't just writing for Jewish people. He was writing for the Greeks. And for the Greeks, calling Jesus the Son of God wouldn't have been very extraordinary because in their pagan religion, the Greeks believed that gods made children with humans in couples that were half God and half human, and it was no big deal. It happened in the mythology that was the basis for their religious beliefs. And Messiah wouldn't have meant anything to them. That was a Jewish concept. So John picked the word, which came from the Greek word logos, because to the Greek people, that had something to do with uh, extraordinary understanding and knowledge and reason. It had to do, using the word, God breathed creation into life. And so the, the, literally the word, word, would have meant something to the Greeks that they would not have otherwise had to be able to grasp how big this concept was of a God who was there in the beginning, but who also came to live and dwell among the people. John's opening words sound a lot like the words that we read in the very first, book, first words of our Bible in the first book, Genesis which also start in the beginning. In Genesis, we read, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. Darkness and the churning waters were symbols of chaos. And out of that chaos that the Spirit hovered over, what else was there? Well, there was the Word there from the beginning of creation, with our creative God. And out of that chaos and that darkness in those waters came what? Came the light. The light just didn't begin with Jesus' birth. That was when God chose to come to earth and dwell among his people, to walk as a human, fully human and fully divine. But make no mistake, the light was there. The light of Christ was there from the very, very beginning. So what does this idea of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, all there at the beginning, really mean for us? Well, it means that we should learn from that relationship, those relationships. You know, we can turn this idea of a three-in-one God and the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit into a great academic exercise. We have some folks here today who are undergrads studying, 
hoping to go into ministry. And when they get into their theology classes, they're going to get tied in knots trying to explain how God can be three and be one at the same time. It's not what you learn in math class. It's not going to be like the math you've learned before, Peyton. It's going to be different. And so instead of trying to dig into this idea of the Trinitarian God in some academic way, let's think of it in a different way. Let's think of it as God's way of showing us what it means to live in perfect unity, in perfect relationship with one another. We know from reading the Gospels how Jesus prayed to the Father. Sometimes he called him Abba. That's a familiar term. It's like daddy or papa. There was a loving relationship, a relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit that was exemplified not only by unity, but by creative power, by inspiration, by love, by a redeeming Spirit and the idea of redeeming creation. And because we as human beings were created in God's own image, male and female, all of those things about the way the Father, Son, and Spirit related to each other, three in one, should be demonstrated as we live our lives and we relate to people in the world. We should be loving. We should be creative and create spaces where people can come to know Jesus we should be inspiring and empowering. We shouldn't be part of what tears down. We should be part of what lifts up because we were created in that very same image. And when we behave with one another in relationship between parent and child, between teacher and student, between neighbor and neighbor, we are epitomizing the best of the relationship that God shared with us by being a three-in-one God. Part of our hope for the future and the future of God's church is that all of God's people would demonstrate those kind of characteristics in their relationships with one another, despite their political differences, despite their different colors, despite their different opinions about the hot topics of the day. All of that should be overcome as we shine a light and show the kind of relationship that our three-in-one God exemplified for us. We can be creative. We can inspire by sharing the gospel message, by letting people know how Jesus made a difference in our lives, by giving people a reason to want some of what we have. But it wasn't all easy. And John's prologue also speaks to the difficulties and the trials that Jesus would encounter. Started out as I've already described. He wasn't born in a modern labor and delivery ward. There wasn't even room for him inside a home or an inn. He was born in the stable, in a feeding trough, surrounded by the animals, on the margins vulnerable, in need of protection, just like babies who are born today. He came to us. God came to us in the flesh to reconcile us unto himself, something we couldn't do on our own. 
And with our Christmas traditions, we sometimes think it was just a sleepy, beautiful, peaceful night. Silent night, holy night. O little town of Bethlehem. Joy to the world. But it wasn't all joyful. It was a hard time in a world that was dominated by a cruel oppressor. In fact, a year to two years after Jesus was born, he was living in a house. He wasn't in the stable anymore. That's when the three wise men, the three magi, actually came to see him. And after they saw him and went home another way, defying what Herod had asked them to do, something terrible happened. The story of the terrible thing that happened is told to us in Matthew's Gospel. Let me share it with you now. This is from chapter 2. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up. Flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. Herod sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. Herod, in searching for Jesus to kill him because he didn't want the competition of a baby king, murdered children in Bethlehem. And today, Bethlehem is not exactly a peaceful place. I visited Bethlehem now, 2,020 years later, and what did I find? I found barbed wire and checkpoints to go between the sections of town where the Jews live and where the Palestinians live, with big warning signs to Israeli citizens not to go into Bethlehem because it wasn't safe for them there. Some things never change. So it wasn't such a peaceful place. And Jesus' life on earth wasn't a piece of cake either. You know, we think of Jesus after he's been resurrected and his glory, and, and we, we tend to forget that he actually lived a real human life, a life that was filled with trial and tribulation. As a toddler, he was a refugee, just like refugee children today. As a young man, he was denied and rejected and ridiculed. Even his family at one point thought he was a little off of his rocker. Among his 12 disciples was one who would betray him and another who would deny him. And people who welcomed him into Jerusalem with shouts of Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. A few days later were saying crucify him, crucify him. And the Romans did. And he died a painful death with great suffering. And he was buried. But then he rose from the dead. And his resurrection is for us. So despite the trials and tribulations of his life, at the end was a resurrection. 
appearing to disciples and then ascending into heaven. And my friends, that's the reason that we need to have hope for the future. Jesus isn't some God that's remote from us. Jesus isn't some lofty being that doesn't know or care how we feel. And no matter how hard 2020 has been, we should not allow it to end thinking that somehow God doesn't love us or God doesn't care because God's life on earth was just as tough and even worse. And we need to remember that. That's what it means when the scripture says he came to dwell among us. But the words that really give us the hope we should have for the future are not exactly those words from John's gospel. They're the ones that I read toward the end of the passage. I'm going to read it for you again, picking up at verse 10. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. That's what I've just been talking about. But then it goes on to say, and these are the words you need to take home with you today. These are the words you need to remember if you're watching from home. This is the crux of it. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Children of God. That's you. That's me. That's us. We are sons and daughters. We are heirs of his glory. And that's the reason we should hold on to hope through all of this. And we should hold on to hope into the future, no matter what the future holds for us. Paul put it this way when he wrote to the church in Rome. He said, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. You know, we don't have to die to wait to experience God's glory or see a glimpse of it in this life. I've seen glimpses of it through the worst times in my life and the worst times of some other people's lives. This morning, you were greeted by Lindsay Belcher. She stood right there. I met Lindsay about 13 years ago. She was a little tyke, precocious as could be, <laughs> wandered around East Lake United Methodist Church, all smiles and happiness. She used to follow Pastor Bob Martin like a puppy. She did. And yet she was going through a real childhood trial. She and her mama together. And in watching her grow up, I realized hope is never lost. I will never forget one Sunday I was sitting in a congregation. This was before I realized God was calling me to ministry. And Pastor Bob was praying at the chancel rail. And Lindsay comes trotting up the center aisle. 
and goes over to the chancel rail and kneels right next to him and leans her head on his shoulder and puts her arm around his back. And he reached his arm around her and pulled her close. And if that memory doesn't give me hope for the future, then I don't know what will. I'm looking out there today, and I see Matt, and I see Peyton, and I see Nick. He's back there in the room waiting, and I hope he's going to be coming out here soon. And those three young people, they're in school right now after coming through our student ministry, and they are studying as undergrads in hopes of going into ministry of some form or fashion someday. That still happens in this broken world. And if that doesn't give you hope, then you're hopeless. <laughs> Friends, it's been a rough year. It has. I know that. But as we look forward to 2021, we have to remember that there's stories every day in every place of people like Lindsay who overcome great obstacles of people whose spouses go to heaven ahead of them, whose hearts are broken. Our church is filled with widows and widowers who know what it is to lose, and yet they're here week in and week out, and they believe, and they have hope. We have people in our congregation right now who are battling cancer and other diseases, but they show up with smiles on their faces, and they give, and they're generous because they know that the light of that candle why it may, it may get blown out at the end of a worship service. And soon these Advent candles will get packed up and put away for next year. But that light, that's just a symbol. The light is right here. It's in us. And so no matter what you face, what you experience, what hardship you have as you move forward toward 2021 and beyond, remember this, that Jesus Christ offers peace and hope and love and joy. And just because we celebrate his birth on Christmas Eve, the night that hope was born, doesn't mean that that hope goes away when we pack up the decorations and things go back to more ordinary times. Hope was born on Christmas Eve. When you came to accept Jesus as your Savior, Hope was reborn in your heart. And that should be enough to carry you into whatever the future holds for us. A future filled with hope.